All right. Good morning, Lord's Love, uh, to those who are here and also to those joining in online. I know we got quite a few friends joining in today. It is Pastor Howard's uh, installation, and I'm excited for that. Uh, so I will give a 20-minute sermon today. That's my, try, uh, that's my, uh, that's my challenge, <laughs> but also that is uh, what we're going to try to accomplish today through uh, the Word of God. But I'm so glad to be together, to gather together, and not to forsake the gathering as, well, the video, which... I said in the video uh, that we continue to go on and, and to meet, even though there's so many different kinds of distractions for us. I have to say a quick word of prayer uh, before we dive into the word. Father, thank you for this, uh, this morning, uh, this uh, chilly morning, but this good morning because you have made it. I thank you, God, that your mercies truly are new every single morning, and today may we rejoice in that. Thank you for those who are listening online, joining us for the first time, but also for those joining us here in person. Uh, God, uh, you truly are wor worthy uh, of our worship. And we do all this, uh, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Axel Erlinson, uh, he was a Swedish-American bean farmer who lived in the early 1900s. And you're thinking, well, what does that have to do with uh, the letter to the Romans, the power of the gospel? I'll get to it. Uh, he was a bean farmer, but that wasn't the only thing he was good at. He had a, another kind of hobby that he enjoyed, and that other hobby was, was tree grafting. Uh, he loved to put different branches together with different uh, tree roots and grow different kinds of trees. And if you're not aware, if you don't have a green thumb, and I don't have a green thumb, I looked it up myself, tree grafting is this. You take, you cut off uh, a branch, and there's a root, uh, which is the rootstock, right, you see there on that diagram, and then there's a scion, which is a, a living uh, stock as well of the plant, the upper part, and you connect them together, you tape them, and then through the natural processes, the wonderful processes, God has created, the branch grows together. These two different plants, uh, they merge together. Well, he took this, and it was an art form of his. In 1947, he also opened an attraction in California called the Tree Circus. Uh, that's what he did. It was called the Tree Circus, and these trees were in Ripley's Believe It or Not. Uh, you know that uh, amazing feat around the world, amazing things we see around the world. Uh, it was featured in the article something like 12 times, and he had trees that he grown like this uh, in his acreage that he had, and he called it the Tree Circus. And he grew trees that normally don't look like, look, look like this, but through grafting, he put it all together. Uh, you see the basket tree, which is right in the middle right here. Uh, you see, there's, oh, I don't have it up there, but there's another tree grew that made it look into a heart shape. Uh, people come together and, and see this. Uh, there's another uh, artist that's currently in New York. Uh, his name is Sam Van Aken, and he's a contemporary artist. And he did the same kind of idea, which, by the way, these trees... Uh, the tree circus that no longer exists, but they actually uprooted it and moved it to a theme park uh, in California. You can still see them uh, today. Uh, but this Sam Van Aken also did the same thing, and I'm not sure you can see it here, but he actually took 40 different uh, branches and, 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 and uh, stone fruit trees and merged it all together into this one tree through grafting. So you see the different kind of colors, and this one tree uh, outside this museum in New York grows 40 different kinds of fruit uh, together. Through this one tree root, you see the beauty that comes from this grafting. And what we have learned here is that grafting uh, is intentional. Uh, it's, it's beautiful in its art form. It's intentional. It's not, it's not by mistake, but every branch, everything that's done to the tree is purposeful. And today we're, we're, we're talking about a grafting of, of a different sort. Uh, grafting not of trees, but of people. 
that we learn here in the book of Romans that, that, that we we're grafted into the family tree of God, that we're grafted into God's living book, uh, that, that, that is, us as Gentiles, which are non-Jewish people, are grafted into this promise, this covenant that God has. And we've been learning through chapters 9 to 11, and if you are here last week, that was a bit of an intense message reminding us of our shortcoming, reminding us of the ways that we've fallen, the ways that we work for our own righteousness. And we saw last week that if we work for our own righteousness, we'll literally and spiritually work ourselves to death. That that is the direction if you take it on uh, by yourself. And last week, it, it, wouldn't it be tragic, uh, the story of the gospel, of understanding the gospel, wouldn't it be tragic if we were just left to our own sin, uh, left to our own brokenness, left to our own ways, but the story doesn't end there. That story doesn't end with Israel rejecting God. The story, it, it doesn't end with us rejecting God, but the story continues on by our understanding of God's response, which we see here in Romans 11, that God's response to our rejection is to offer acceptance. That's our understanding of God's love for us, that when we give and respond to him in rejection, when we push him away, when we say no to him, instead of pushing us away, he offers acceptance. He offers grace. He offers love. And that's our understanding of this passage here in Romans 11. In the beginning of the chapter, uh, the Apostle Paul says this, I ask then that God reject his people. And the famous line that he keeps repeating time and time again in the book of Romans, letter to the Romans, by no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his, his people whom he foreknew. And even with uh, the rejection from his people, God did not reject his own people because of his grace. And I love this, that Paul uses his own, uh, himself as an example. He uses himself as, as an example of God not rejecting uh, his own people because he's also from a tribe uh, of Benjamin. He's also a descendant of Abraham. He's also a Jewish uh, person. And we see here in, in, in Paul's life that, uh, that he experienced God's grace. And those that experience God's grace also go and give God's grace. That they go and live that out to people around them. And Paul knows how much he doesn't deserve uh, God's uh, love at all. And as he's reflecting about this, and he's reflecting upon the people of Israel, he con uh, continues on with, uh, with uh, this thought in verse 11 to 12, which I don't think I have up there. Do I? No, I don't. It's okay. I Open your Bibles. <laughs> in verse 11 to 12, he says this, again, I ask, uh, did they stumble, they meaning the Israelites? so as to fall beyond recovery. Again, not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, because of the sin of the people of Israel, salvation has come. Uh, that's interesting for us, that salvation has come. That uh, it's some, not something that we uh, work for, but salvation has come into our lives, and it's come from somewhere else, outside of ourselves. In verse 12, but if their transgressions means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? Now, Paul, like I, I left off there, Paul knows how undeserving he is of God's grace. So when he tastes grace and he tastes God's love and, 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 and the acceptance that God is offering to him, Paul understands how unlovable he is. But Paul uh, would have considered himself to be beyond recovery. As it says in verse 11, that he was beyond recovery, that he was out of God's grace, that he wasn't deserving 
of God's love. You remember Paul's, uh, you might remember uh, Saul's story on the road to Damascus where he was out to persecute Christians, to kill Christians, and, and, and Jesus appears to him on the road and, and blinds him and says, what are you doing, Paul? Like, why do you persecute me? And, and he comes and saves him and says that you must go and, and, and repent, and, and Paul uh, turns from, from, from his ways. And Jesus didn't need to show up in Paul's life, but he did. And, and Paul understands this. So Paul, he would have considered himself to be beyond uh, recovery. And I turned that on to us this morning is, have there been moments where you thought you were beyond recovery? Things that you've done, things that you've thought, things that you've said, things in your life where you think, man, that doesn't reflect the faith that I believe in or the God that I follow, and you believe that you are beyond recovery. Or maybe it's your neighbor or your friend or, your, or that family member, and you're thinking, man, they're beyond recovery. But we're reminded this morning that God's grace is greater, that his response to our rejection is to offer acceptance. And Paul is an example of that. So who is it that you think is beyond God's forgiveness? Maybe it's yourself this morning. Maybe it's someone else. But maybe it's in those moments, too, that God can create something beautiful in that person's life or in, in your life. And there was a moment for me, I remember this was years ago, it was one of those summer camps, summer retreats that I've had. Uh, this was when Pastor Don, I mentioned him a couple years ago, a couple, a couple years, a couple sermons ago, uh, and he was pastoring in that moment. And I remember the song, uh, Amazing, Amazing Love, uh, You Are My King by Chris Tomlin, and just singing that line in the chorus that says, Amazing Love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? And I was just overcome with emotion, overcome with the memories of the ways that I've gone wrong from God, but yet he still chooses to love. Yet he so chooses despite whatever it is that we have done. And I was confronted by my own mistakes, my brokenness, my loneliness. But it was in that moment of brokenness and loneliness and, and sense of rejection that I experienced God's love all the more. His gentle whisper that I still love you, that I still know you, I still understand. I know what's going on in your life. And I believe the core of my being that, that we need to remember that this morning, that we've all done things where we're not proud of and we think we're deserving a punishment. And some of you today believe that what you've done, that you've fallen out of God's grace. And maybe there's someone you know again that you believe has fallen out of God's grace. But don't be that hard on yourself when God has already extended his hand out, when God has already given his grace to you. We are to understand our brokenness and our sinfulness, but at the same time, we are to understand our salvation. And we're to understand this God because his grace, as he's saying to you this morning, is greater than your shame. His grace is greater than your mistakes and than your hurts, than your disappointments. And we see here that God actually uses the mistakes of people for the greater good of people. And God changes that around to save all of us Gentiles. So my first question to you is, what do you think is beyond recovery? Maybe it's your own life, maybe it's your own thoughts, maybe it's the path that you're going down, maybe it's someone else. But how can you offer that up to God this morning? And now I do have this passage. Uh, it goes on to say this uh, in verse 16. If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, 
have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, uh, do, not, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. So he starts off there saying part of the dough offered is the same. Uh, if one part of the, if the batch of dough is holy, then the rest of the dough is holy. If the root is holy, then the branches are holy. Uh, yesterday, I made pancakes uh, for our family. I don't cook breakfast very often because I'm quite groggy uh, and quite uh, um, frustrated <laughs> in the morning when I, when I wake up. And I made pancakes, and it's the brand uh, Krusty's, you know, the one, uh, one cup mix, two-thirds water. You can't really mess that up, right? So you think. So I made the batch, and I thought it was good, and I, I, I gave it to Jess, and she was like, this, do these pancakes taste strange to you? And I'm like, it's it's, it's crusties. It's one cup of mix and two-thirds of water. I thought I followed the thing, the instructions. I'm pretty sure I did, but apparently it still tasted weird. I don't know why. I still haven't discovered what the corporate, uh, what, what, what exactly considered it. Uh, you can't mess that one up, but I messed up this pre-mix uh, of pancake mix. Uh, but the thing is here that we see here that God is saying the dough that we eat from is, is holy, and whatever it is that, that comes out of that is holy as well. And the root supports it, that whatever the main batch is, whatever the root is, the rest of the tree is also healthy. And we, we see here that, that, that if we belong to God, and if we're connected to God, that we also experience this life, this promise that the Israelites are experiencing. And all throughout this, this passage here, I ask the question, why an olive tree? Well, why do you speak in the imagery of an olive tree? What does that exactly mean? Well, we know in that time, olive trees was a source of food. Uh, it was a source, a source of oil, and we still have olive oil today, right? Uh, it's a source of oil, and that oil, they used it for lamps uh, to light the way. Uh, they used it to anoint people with the same oil. They used this for medicine. Uh, to help people with injuries. Um, remember the Good Samaritan, when the Good Samaritan saw the injured uh, man on the road, they put oil, he put oil over them, and this understanding of olive oil has these healing, uh, uh, under, uh, healing elements to it. But, but olive tree, specifically in Scripture, is a sign of God's blessing. It's a sign of his blessing and his presence uh, on us. We see this in Hosea 14, 5-6, I will be like the dew to Israel who will... He will blossom like a lily, like a cedar of Lebanon. He will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree. His fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. So we understand it's to be a blessing. It's to be a, a sign of the presence of God. Uh, what is it that when Noah was on the boat, what did the dove bring back? brought back an, an, an olive, uh, not, a, not, a, not a branch, if we read it carefully, it's actually an olive leaf, which is very significant. Uh, the dove brought to, uh, to Noah an olive leaf, uh, where we understand that even though the whole earth was devastated, even though there was a flood, even though there seemed to be no life left, there was an olive leaf, a sign of life, a sign of presence, a sign of God doing what only he can do and bringing dead people back to life, bringing bringing dead situations back to life and hopelessness into hope, a sign of that, that we see an olive tree reminding us of God and what he can do. And, and what we also see here is that, furthermore, the olive tree is to, for us to understand God's, God's grace. Because here we see that uh, um, it was natural 
uh, in that day to graft uh, cultivated trees. So if you had tr- different cultivated trees in the garden, you would use those branches and cross-pollinate and cross-graft. But what was not popular, what was uncommon, was to take a wild shoot, a wild olive tree out in the middle of nowhere, take that and graft it into your cultivated garden. Because that would be seen as ruining your garden. This is wild. This is, this is blemished. This is imperfect wild olive tree. So I'm not going to graft that into my, 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 uh, my garden here. That's perfect. But we see here that this is the illustration that Paul uses, and that's intentional. That God's choice to graft the wild to the cultivated is intentional because it's all about his grace. Those of you that feel rejected and left out and outside of the garden, you now belong. You now belong. I, through this intentional and beautiful art of grafting, I'm going to graft you into my garden, into my tree of life, into my family line, into the book of life, if you so choose. And Paul is trying to get that into our, our, our minds here, that, that this isn't normal here. The first century reader would be, wait a minute, you don't graft wild branches, wild branches into a cultivated tree. And I think that speaks to us here this morning is that the minute we normalize grace is when we've taken our faith for granted. The moment that we think our lives are safe and that we deserve it, or it's just normal that we're part of God's family, that's not normal. We don't deserve that. That's not the way of, of our understanding, that we never meant to deserve life, but God has grafted us. And may that never be normal. May that never be the norm for us when we wake up and be like, yeah, you know, this is what I deserve and this is what it is. But may we be in wonder. May we live in splendor of this, this God that we, 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 we love and, and we know. Now, what is the root in the remaining time that I have? The root, uh, there's illustrations of this in Jeremiah, but God uses the imagery again of, of an olive tree to also remind his people of his covenant. Of, of his grace, of his promise, of God's covenant with Abraham, with Moses, with David. It's all throughout the Old Testament. And some would argue that the root that supports this tree is the patriarchs, right? The heavy weight of faith lifters uh, of, of Christianity. But I think if we look into the scripture and we look into the Old Testament, the patriarchs, they definitely weren't perfect. They had faith, yes, but they weren't perfect. I believe that the root here. It's on God. It's on his covenant. It's on his promises. It's this covenant that holds us up. It's his promises that hold us up. The root is the covenant of God's grace. It's the covenant of God's word that we're standing on. That your life and your faith, it doesn't rest on you and what you can do and what you can accomplish and what you think, but your life and your faith, it rests on God's shoulders. It's his covenant his promise that is holding you up. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that because I know my own brokenness. I know the pressures that I feel from this. I know that if God is the one holding me up and his covenant is what I'm resting on, that gives me peace. That gives me rest. The reason why I know that I'll continue on in this faith tomorrow is not because of my own strength, but it's because it's God that's holding me. That's God's grace and his covenant that's holding me firm. Because I know of my own ways, I know of my own heart. And because of God, the grafting of Gentiles into this tree 
that we're speaking of, anyone now who believes can also stand upon this unshakable covenant of God. And the root, it doesn't just support you, but it's a nourishing sap, as we read. It gives you life. It gives you joy. It gives you peace. It gives you fulfillment and purpose in this life. Meaning, no matter the trials, no matter the storms that come, if you're grafted into this tree, we will stand firm. We will, we will hold firm because the tree will continue to provide for you. And we come to learn that Jesus, he is that root. He is the Messiah. He promises and he's holding up the covenant for us here today. That God would never leave you or forsake you or let you fall because the cross has proved that for us. So no matter what it is that you're going through today and you will go through, the cross has demonstrated that for us. So therefore, we're not to consider what we think and what we think is best for us, but we're to consider God. Don't consider what you think is best, because I've gotten in trouble in my own life when, when, when I thought it was an impossible situation, when I thought it was hopeless, and I, and I was trying to find joy on my own self, and I thought it was impossible for me to find hope and to find joy and to find belonging in life, but God found a way. I thought it was impossible for me to find purpose when I lost what I thought was my calling in, in sports and in baseball, but God provided. Again, I thought it was impossible for a family member, my, my grandma, to, to come to faith. But God provided. If I only was left to my own considerations of what I thought can be done, nothing will ever get done. But Paul says, consider God. Consider his kindness, but also his sternness. Consider who he is. Come to him as a father, as a kind and gentle, a loving father and a good friend, but also someone that's righteous, someone that's loving. So what do you think is impossible today? How have you rejected God? And maybe you, 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 maybe you think you'll never love again after that heartbreak. Maybe you think you'll never find joy again after that tragedy, whatever that tragedy is. But God is holding you up. Not us. God is holding you up. And that's why he says he is able. God is able to graft them in again, no matter how fallen they are, no matter how broken the situation, no matter how far away someone might seem they are, seem to be, they are able. I'll end with this, with the doxology, which, which Duncan, our worship leader, said quite profoundly already. This led Paul in the middle of the letter to go into doxology. Doxa meaning glory, to give glory to God. He ends with saying, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. And every single day when we consider the grace of God, it should bring us to our knees in proclamation that every single day there should be a moment of doxology in worshiping this God because the reason we have life and the reason we have breath is because God is holding us up. God is leading us through. And I pray that that would encourage you today that even though you reject, even though you push God away, God's response to your rejection is to offer acceptance and grace and love.
May that never be normal. May that always be on our hearts. Let's pray. Father, 